Chapter Thirty Three of the Rayner Slade Amalgamation by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Thirty Three, The Smart Miss Slade. In no city of the world is a crowd so quickly collected as in London. In none is one so easily satisfied and dispersed. Within five minutes the detectives had hurried their three captives away towards the nearest cab-rank, and the people who had left their tea and their cakes to gather round, to stare, and to listen, had gone back to their tables to discuss this latest excitement. But the chief and Allardyke, Fullaway and Appleyard, Miss Slade and Rayner, stood in a little group on the grass and looked at each other. Eventually, all looks except Rayner's centred on Miss Slade, who, somewhat out of breath from her tussle, was settling her hat and otherwise composing herself. And it was Miss Slade who spoke first when the party, as a party, found itself capable of speech. "'I don't know who it was,' observed Miss Slade, rather more than a little acidly, "'who came interfering in my business, but whoever he was he nearly spoilt it.' She darted a much displeased look at the chief, who hastened to exculpate himself. "'Not I,' he said with a smile. "'So don't blame me, Miss Slade. I was merely a looker-on, a passive spectator, until the right moment arrived. Do I gather that the right moment had not actually arrived, for your purpose?' "'You do,' answered Miss Slade. "'It hadn't.' "'If you had all waited a few moments,' you would have had all three men in conference round one of those tables, and they could have been taken with far less fuss and bother, and far less danger to me. It's the greatest wonder in the world that I'm not lying dead on that grass. We are devoutly thankful that you are not, said the chief fervently, but you're not, and the main thing is that the three men are in custody, and as for interference, it was Chilverton, interrupted Fullaway, who had been staring at his mysterious secretary as if she were some rare object which he had never seen before. Chilverton! All Chilverton's fault! As soon as he set eyes on Van Coon, nothing would hold him. And what I want to know— We all want to know a good deal, remarked the chief, glancing invitingly at Miss Slade. Miss Slade has no doubt a good deal to tell. I suggest that we walk across to those very convenient chairs which I see over there by the shrubbery. Then, perhaps— I want to know a good deal, too, said Miss Slade. I don't know who you are, to start with, and I don't know why Mr. Appleyard happens to be here, to end with. Appleyard answered these two questions readily. I'm here because I happen to be Mr. Allardyke's London representative, he said, this gentleman is a very highly placed official of the Criminal Investigation Department. Miss Slade, having composed herself, favoured the chief with a deliberate inspection. Oh, in that case, she remarked, in that case, I suppose I had better satisfy your curiosity. That is, she continued, turning to Rayner, if Mr. Rayner thinks I may. I was going to suggest it, answered Rayner. Let's sit down and tell them all about it. The party of six went across to the quiet spot which the chief had indicated, and Fullaway and Appleyard obligingly arranged the chairs in a group. 
seated in the midst and quite conscious that she was the centre of attraction in several ways miss slade began her explanation of the events and mysteries which had culminated in the recent sensational event i dare say she said looking round her that some of you know a great deal more about this affair than i do what i do know however is this the three men who have just been removed are without doubt the arch spirits of the combination which robbed miss leonard attempted to rob mr james allerdyke possibly murdered mr james allerdyke and certainly murdered lindenberg lisette buaper and ebers van coon is an american crook whose real name is vankin merrifield as you know is mr delkin's secretary the other man is one otto schmall a german chemist and a most remarkably clever person who has a shop and a chemical manufactory in whitechapel he's an expert in poison and i think you will have some interesting matters to deal with when you come to tackle his share well that's plain fact and now you want to know how i and mr rayner found all this out chiefly you murmured rayner chiefly you you had better let your minds go back to the morning of the thirteenth may last continued miss slade paying no apparent heed to this interruption on that morning i arrived at mr fullaway's office at my usual time ten o'clock to find that mr fullaway had departed suddenly earlier in the morning for hull i at once guessed why he had gone i knew that mr james allerdyke in charge of the princess Nastirsevich's jewels was to have landed at hull the night before and i concluded that mr fullaway had set off to meet him but mr fullaway has a bad habit of leaving letters and telegrams lying about for anyone to see and within a few minutes i found on his desk a telegram from mr marshall allerdyke dispatched early that morning from hull saying that his cousin had died suddenly during the night that of course definitely explained mr fullaway's departure and it also made me wonder knowing all i did know if the jewels were safe this i repeat was about ten to half-past ten o'clock about twelve o'clock of that morning the thirteenth mr van coon whom i knew as a resident in the hotel and a frequent caller on mr fullaway came in he wanted mr fullaway to cash a cheque for him i told him that i could do that and i took his cheque wrote out one of my own and went up town to parr's bank at the bottom of st martin's lane to get the cash for him mr van coon stayed in the office reading a bundle of american newspapers which had just been delivered i was away from the office perhaps forty minutes or so when i returned he was still there i gave him the money he thanked me and went away towards the end of that afternoon just before i was leaving the office i got a wire from mr fullaway from hull it was quite short it merely informed me that mr james allerdyke was dead under mysterious circumstances and the nastirsevich property was missing of course i knew what that meant and i drew my own conclusions now i come to the fourteenth a critical day so far as i am concerned during that morning a parcels van boy came to the office he said that on the previous day about half-past twelve o'clock he had brought a small parcel there addressed to mr fullaway and had handed it to a gentleman who was reading newspapers and who had answered yes when inquired of as mr fullaway this gentleman who 
of course, was Van Coon, had signed for the parcel by scribbling two initials, F.F., in the proper space. The boy, who said he was new to his job, told me that the clerk at the parcel's office objected to this as not being a proper signature, and had told him to call next time he was passing and get the thing put right. He accordingly handed me the sheet, and I, believing that this was some small parcel which Van Coon had taken in, signed for, and placed somewhere in the office or in Mr. Fullaway's private room, signed my own name, for Franklin Fullaway, over the penciled initials. And as I did so, I noticed that the parcel had been sent from Hull. When the boy had gone, I looked for that parcel. I could not find it anywhere. It was certainly not in the office, nor in any of the rooms of Mr. Fullaway's suite. I was half-minded to go to Mr. Van Coon and ask about it, but I decided that I wouldn't. I thought I would wait until Mr. Fullaway returned. But all the time I was wondering what parcel it could be that was sent from Hull, and certainly dispatched from there on the very evening before Mr. Fullaway's hurried journey. Nothing happened until Mr. Fullaway came back. Then a lot of things happened all at once. There was the news he brought about the Hull affair. Then there was the affair of the French maid. A great deal got into the newspapers. Mr. Rayner and I, who live at the same boarding-house, began to discuss matters. I heard, through Mr. Fullaway, that there was likelihood of a big reward, and I determined to have a try for it, in conjunction with Mr. Rayner, and so I kept my own counsel, and said nothing about the affair of the parcel. Fullaway, who had been manifesting signs of impatience and irritation during the last few minutes, here snapped out a question. "'Why didn't you tell me at once about the parcel?' he demanded. "'It was your duty.' Miss Slade gave her employer a cool glance. "'Possibly,' she retorted. "'But you are much too careless to be entrusted with secrets, Mr. Fullaway. I knew that if I told you about that parcel you'd spoil everything at once. I wanted to do things my own way. I took my own way, and it's come out all right for everybody. Now, don't you or anybody interrupt me again.' I'm telling it all in order. Fullaway made an inarticulate growling protest, but Miss Slade took no notice and continued in even, dispassionate tones, as if she had been explaining a mathematical problem. The affair prospered. The princess came. The reward of fifty thousand pounds was offered. Then Mr. Rayner and I put our heads together more seriously. Much, of course, depended upon me, as I was on the spot. I wanted a chance to get into Van Coon's rooms, sometime when he was out. Fortunately, the chance came. One afternoon, when Van Coon was in our office, he and Mr. Fullaway settled to dine out together and go to the theatre afterwards. That gave me my opportunity. I made an excuse about staying late at Mr. Fullaway's office, and when both men were clear away, I let myself into Van Coon's room. I'd already made preparations for that and proceeded to search. I found the parcel. It was a small, square parcel, done up in brown paper and sealed with black wax. It had been opened, the original wrapper put on again, and the seals re-sealed. I took it into Mr. Fullaway's rooms and opened it, carefully. Inside I found a small cigar-box, and in it the princess's jewels. I took them out, then I put certain articles of corresponding weight into the box, did it up again precisely as I had found it, 
smeared over the seals with more black wax, went back to Van Coon's room with it, and placed it again where I had found it, in a small suitcase. I now knew, of course, that Mr. James Allerdyke had sent those jewels directly to Mr. Fullaway, immediately on his arrival in Hull, and that they had fallen by sheer accident into Van Coon's hands. But I wanted to know more. I wanted to know if Van Coon had any connection with this affair, and if, when he saw that the parcel was from Hull, he had immediately jumped to the conclusion that it might be from James Allerdyke, and might contain the actual valuables. Fortunately, Mr. Rayner had already made arrangements with a noted private inquiry agent to have Van Coon most carefully and closely watched. And the very day after I found and took possession of the jewels, we received a report from this agent that Van Coon was in the habit of visiting the shop and manufactory of a German chemist named Schmall in Whitechapel. Further, he had twice come away from it, after lengthy visits, in company with a man whom the agent's employees had tracked to the Hotel Cecil, and whom I knew from their description to be Mr. Merrifield, Mr. Delkin's private secretary. Naturally, having discovered this, we gave instructions for a keener watch than ever to be kept on both these men. But the name of the German chemist gave me personally a new and most important clue. There had been employed at the Waldorf Hotel, for some weeks up to the end of the first week in May, a German-Swiss young man, who then called himself Ebers. He acted as valet to several residents, amongst others Mr. Fullaway. He was often in and out of Mr. Fullaway's rooms. Once, Mr. Fullaway being out, and I having nothing to do, I was cleaning up some photographic apparatus which I had there. This man Ebers came in with some clothes of Mr. Fullaway's. Seeing what I was doing, he got talking to me about photography, saying that he himself was an amateur. He recommended to me certain materials and things of that sort, which he said he could get from a friend of his, a chemist, who was an enthusiastic photographer and manufactured chemicals and things used in photography. I gave him some money to get me a supply of things, and he brought various packets and parcels to me two or three days later. Each packet bore the name of Otto Schmall, and an address in a street which runs off Mile End Road. Now, when the private inquiry agent made his reports to Mr. Rayner and myself about Van Coon, and told us where he had been tracked to more than once, I, of course, remembered the name of Schmall, and Mr. Rayner and I began to put certain facts together. They were these. First, Ebers had easy access to Mr. Fullaway's rooms at all hours, and was often in them when both Mr. Fullaway and I were out. Mr. Fullaway is notoriously careless in leaving papers and documents, letters and telegrams lying around. Ebers had abundant opportunities of reading lots of documents relating to, one, the Pinky Pell pearls, and, two, the proposed Nastirsevich deal. Second, Ebers was a friend of Schmall. Schmall was evidently a man of great cleverness in chemistry. Third, all the circumstances of Mr. James Allerdyke's death and of Lisette Bourapère's death pointed to unusually skillful poisoning. Who was better able to engineer that than a clever chemist? Fourth, the jewels belonging to the Princess Nastirsevich had undoubtedly fallen into Van Coon's hands. Van Coon was a friend of Schmall. So also, evidently, was Merrifield. Now, Merrifield, 
as Delkin's secretary, knew of the proposed deal. Obviously, then, Schmall, Van Coon, and Merrifield were in league. Whether Ebers was also in league, or was a cat's paw, we did not trouble to decide. But there was another fact which seemed to have some bearing, though it is one which I have never yet worked out. Perhaps some of you know something about it. It was this. Just before he went to Russia, Mr. James Allardyke, being in town, gave me a photograph of himself, which Mr. Marshall Allardyke had recently taken. I kept that photo lying on my desk at Mr. Fullaway's for some time. One day I missed it. It is such an unusual thing for me to misplace anything that I turned over every paper on my desk in searching for it. It was not to be found. Four days later I found it, exactly where it ought to have been. Now, you can draw your own conclusions from that. Mine are that Eber stole it, so that he could reproduce it in order to give his reproduction to the same person who wanted to identify James Allardyke at sight. However, to go forward to the discovery which we made about Schmall, Van Coon, and Merrifield. As soon as we made that discovery, Mr. Rayner was for going to the police at once, but I thought not. There was still certain evidence which I wanted, so that the case could be presented without a flaw. However, all of a sudden I saw that we should have to act. Ebers was found dead in a small hotel near the docks, and at a conference in which Mr. Fullaway insisted I should join, in his rooms, and at which Van Coon, who had been playing a bluff game, was present, there was enough said to convince me that Van Coon and his associates would take alarm and be off with what they believed themselves to possess, the jewels in that parcel. So then Mr. Rayner and I determined on big measures, and they were risky ones, for me. I had already gone down, more than once, to Whitechapel, and had bought things at small shop, and I was convinced that he was the man who accompanied Lisette Bourpere to that little hotel in Eastbourne Terrace. Now that the critical moment came, after the ebers faderman affair, I went there again. I got Schmall outside his premises. I took a bold step. I told him that I was a woman detective, who, for purposes of my own, had been working this case, and that I was in full possession of the facts. If I had not taken the precaution to tell him this in the thick of a crowded street, he would have killed me on the spot. Then I went on to tell him more. I said that his accomplice had led him to believe that he had the Nastirsevich jewels in a parcel in his possession. I said that Van Coon was wrong. I had them myself. I told him how I got them. He nearly collapsed at that. I restored him by saying that the real object of my visit to him was to do a deal with him. I said that it did not matter two pins to me what he and his accomplices had done. What I was out for was money, nothing but money. How much would he and the others put up for the jewels and my silence? I reminded him of the fifty thousand pound reward. He glared at me like the devil he is, and said that he'd a mind to kill me then and there, whatever happened whereupon I told him that I had a revolver in my jacket-pocket, that it was trained on him, and that if he moved, my finger would move just as quick, and I invited him to be sensible. It was nothing but a question of money, I said. How much would they give? Finally we settled it at sixty thousand pounds. He was to meet me here, to-day at two. The other two were to be about, 
the money was to be paid to me on production of the jewels for which purpose one of them was to go with me to my boarding-house and you know the rest miss slade came to a sudden stop she glanced at rayner who had been watching the effect of her story on the other men at least she added suddenly you know all that's really important as eber's affair was in the city we warned the city police and left things with them i think that's all except of course mr marshall allerdyke that we formally claim the reward for which you're responsible and equally of course that mr rayner and i will hand over her jewels in the course of this afternoon to the princess miss leonard's property i should say you'll find hidden away on schmall's premises yes that's all except this said the chief quietly he unwrapped the newspaper in which he had carried his small parcel and revealed its contents to miss slade the jewels you see miss slade are here it has been my painful duty to visit your hotel and possess myself of them sorry but miss slade gave one glance of astonishment at the chief and his exhibit then she laughed in his face don't apologize and don't trouble yourself she said suavely but you are a bit off it all the same those are some paste things which mr rayner got together for me in case it came to being obliged to exhibit some to the crooks you don't think really that i was going to run any risks with the genuine articles sakes they're all right they're deposited snug and safe at my bankers and if you'll get a cab we'll drive there and get them End of chapter 33